Get in the cart. Right at us. The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast. And we are back with the Party of Four podcast here at Mistwood Golf Club. And we've taken the show on the road outside into the courtyard, outside McQuethy's Tavern, above the beautiful Mistwood Golf Club. Feels nice to go remote the 60 feet out of the office on a beautiful day like today, 80 degrees in September. Can't beat it. It's standing room only with our live studio audience. Hello, everyone. It seems like the same audience we've had before, which was no one, but <laughs> that's all right. Absolutely <laughs> nobody. But the view, it's nice. Yeah, you can't beat it. Can't beat it. I'm glad we went outside. And golf's been good. Golf's been absolutely incredible for everyone. Um, not only here, but all throughout Chicago. People are excited. People are, are, are hungry to play. I think the, the fortunate thing to come out of you know the, the pandemic is – the fact that golf is definitely viewed as a safe activity. Um, we're seeing more engagement from first-time players, kids, people getting lessons. It's been absolutely awesome. I think I think we're going into a golf renaissance. I'm crossing my fingers that we're going into a golf renaissance. I'm hoping the next four or five years at least we see a big boom in golf. You know, This year was crazy, but I'm hoping that kind of stays sustained at least for the next four or five years. And I, I feel like there's a lot of – um, kind of benchmarks that have been hit this year that uh, are going to be sustained throughout. You know, when you have this many kids and this many first-time golfers getting into the game, they're not just going to go away from the game next year. You know, they're still going to have that interest. And, and so I'm, I'm looking for big things in the next few years. It's been really nice, too, talking to guests out here who are coming out now in the middle of September. They've never been to Misswood. So whether they're just choosing different courses, but they're experiencing us this late in the year, that's pretty special. We love having new people out here. Yeah, I see first-time golfers every single day that um, you know are, are experiencing Mistwood for the first time, which is, is is really really cool. I mean, again, that says either they're getting out to play golf more or they're they're experiencing more places. But but either way, I mean, every, everything has been been doing great. We've had more rounds. Um, equipment sales are great. You know, there's a lot of energy. A very positive energy around golf, um, and, and we're definitely seeing the, the effects of that, the positive effects. And we've really said it since the beginning as far as it's a great social distancing activity and sport. It's perfect. And we, we kind of really were at the forefront of that, and we wanted to be safe, and we still are out here taking every precaution possible. But do you think this is something that will sustain? You talk about the kids getting into it. Do you think that golf is on the rise? Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely do think it's it's going to sustain itself. I mean, even even from the professional sense, um, you, you know, it seems like the PJ Tour is probably operating the most normal of any other uh, professional sport right now, and and that just speaks to it speaks to what golf is and 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 how it can be definitely played on a very safe level and can be enjoyed on a safe level. And um, you know, some of the things that we're doing out here as far as spreading out the guests and and having everything as much as we can outside. I mean, we've been blessed also by incredible weather this summer. I mean, that's that's something that we haven't pointed out. The the weather this summer has been absolutely incredible in the Chicagoland area. So um, I guess of, of all the negative things that we've had this year, that is the absolute most positive thing is that we've had great weather and also just a very engaged uh, customer base and a lot of an expanding customer base. So it's it's been awesome. We did say that there were probably more bees now. Because there haven't been as many people out to sting, and that's why we're dealing with bees here for the video feed. 
There might be bees buzzing around. We might run off, but that's okay. Just mildly allergic. No big deal. <laughs> We're doing our best out here. Well, let's talk about the PGA Tour, and we just had the U.S. Open. Uh, quite the tournament. Scores weren't as low as you might think, but Bryson DeChambeau winning. What was your takeaway? Yeah, I, I thought it was an, an incredible event. I mean, I think what he – I don't think it's this big transformation of golf. Everyone's saying, like, oh, my God, it's it's this huge transformation just because he wins the U.S. Open. You know, he went in with a game plan. It was a good game plan. It's a game plan that he's had the entire year of just hitting it as hard as he possibly can, going and finding it and finding a way to get on the green. Okay, so that's that's basically in the, let's call it the track man era of the last six or seven years especially. That's how a lot of new players are coming out and playing this game. That's, you know, College coaches are looking at that. They're looking at driving distance. They're looking at at a lot of those those factors that maybe aren't as old school as, you know, finding fairways, you know, making sure that we're hitting the center of the greens and everything else. You're seeing a more aggressive player, and, you know, statistics kind of lend themselves to say hit it further, closer to the green, more times often than not, you're going to – Actually, be proximity to the hole is going to be tighter. You're going to actually uh, shoot better scores. I have a hypothesis, a hypothesis though, for the U.S. Open. I'd love to see it played at 6,700 yards. I'd love to see it shortened. You know, just thinking about some of the the great tournaments on the PGA Tour when they're the most competitive. You know, Brooks Kepka said it best. I, it was either the U.S. Open or PGA Championship last year where he said basically. Half the field's out of play because they don't hit it far enough. Another quarter of the field, you know, won't feel comfortable in the situation. So there's literally a quarter of the field that he's playing against as far as distance goes, uh, primarily uh, when he's when he's kind of ranking that field. But look at look at a tournament like Colonial, right? The tournament that's in in Dallas uh, every year. They have a just a variety of winners. They have long long ballers. They have guys that hit short. You know, I'd like to see a U.S. Open played at a shorter distance just to see what would happen because it brings the whole field into play. And and I feel like they've they've lost that identity a little bit. The PGA Championship has done a phenomenal job over the years because they'll take winners from, just looking at the last 20 years, the winner's been anywhere from 1-under to 18-under. And depending on the course, depending on the conditions, they just kind of present it as it is, and whatever happens, happens. And the USGA is always obsessed with getting back to this this even par number. Um, I think even par was second place, right? Yeah. So, again, they're trying to get everybody right back to that even par spot instead of just kind of letting the best players in the world just do what they do. And um, it's just not as com- – to me, it's just not as competitive as some of, the, some of these other events where um, distance isn't as, as, as much of a premium. And the U.S. Open – has now become more of a distance game. If you look at the last winners, Brooks Kepka and DeChambeau and, and all them, it's become much more of a distance focus than a fairways focus, which is funny because the U.S. Open always in everyone else's minds is high rough, have to hit fairways, have to hit greens. They've taken that away completely. And I always say it every episode, I'm a pretty average golfer. Uh, have some good rounds, don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> anyways, but DeChambeau hit 23 of 56 fairways. Yeah. So he was right at half. I was talking about this with our superintendent, Ben Kelnoffer, before we went on the podcast here, and he says it's not a bad approach. If you look at what the field did as far as hitting fairways overall, he said, which I couldn't check, 
that DeChambeau was actually a higher percentage of hitting the fairway than the rest of the field. That would probably surprise me. I, I, I think in the final round he probably hit more fairways than he did in the uh, other three rounds. Um, but, you know, stats prove, especially in, in recent times, the, f- the further you hit it, the more chance you have of hitting the green. And so it's kind of lending itself to that. I, that's why I'd love to see shorter golf courses. If you if you play the golf courses shorter, the entire field, all 100 and I think it was 62 players that played in the U.S. Open, also 162 players would have a chance. And so – uh, instead of eliminating at least half that field just by sheer distance of the of the golf course. And distance can come in many forms. It can be the overall raw distance. But if you make the rough longer, right, and, and guys that are shorter and not hitting the fairways, well, then they're not, they're not hitting it as far. So they're going to have more into those greens as well and probably be more penalized in the rough than the guy that's hitting it long and carrying it. So actually the guy that's hitting it shorter kind of got that double penalty because they're not hitting it as high, not hitting it as far, despite being in the rough or in the fairway, or even if they're in the fairway and these guys are in the rough, these guys are carrying it so much further um, that I just don't I don't think the whole field is, is playing, I guess, on an equal playing field. I actually like that a lot. I like the idea of shortening it because every shot truly does count, and it's more of – I feel like it would be more of like a Greg Maddox – approach on the golf course like you're very technical in what you're doing you're choosing your spots I think it you're right I think it makes it more interesting yeah and taking away the obsession with with even par I mean the the PGA championship again is probably one of the most entertaining uh, majors every single year I mean I guess some people like to see the carnage of of the fight to even for the U.S. Open but um, I, I would say the most competitive championship is usually the PGA championship or Augusta National. You know, looking at the master scores, they've been all the way from even all the way up to what's the record? Twenty. I think it was Tiger, right? Twenty under. Yeah. So, I mean, they fall in this big long range every year. It's at the same course every year. They haven't done a whole lot of changes, especially in the last ten years. Um, but definitely, they they still have a range of of scores every single year, and it's. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think there needs to be an obsession with with where the, the score is at as much as just making the most competitive field uh, possible. What about Matthew Wolf? Uh, we've seen a lot from young golfers this year uh, playing well. Do you think it's one of those things where the pressure just gets you too much and, it, and the moment becomes too big, or was DeChambeau just that good and kind of just steamrolled it at the end? I mean, I, th- I think he was that good. The, the average for the final round was, I think, almost – uh, north of 76, maybe 77. It's definitely over par. So Wolf didn't really shoot that much over the the average of the of the day. I, I know that uh, DeChambeau was the only one under par for like maybe the last two hours worth of tee times um, for for the day. So um, what he did was absolutely absolutely incredible. I don't think necessarily Wolf played that bad. I mean, the way they played the ninth hole was was unreal. Both Eagle and nine to to make the turn, you know, that's the type of place. A couple of bad swings and you get in a you get in a lie that you've never seen before, you know, a greenside lie that you're trying to hit now, a shot from, you know, just a twenty feet, and you're in rough that's six to eight inches deep. These are lies you never seen before, and so even the best players in the world, I mean, trying to get the back of the club on on the golf ball is almost impossible. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the beauty of the U.S. Open, too, is you play conditions you've never seen before, so I'm going on both sides of the coin. I understand that. But um, 
Yeah, yeah. I think DeChambeau just did something that special and played that well um, all weekend to, to to garner the win. I don't think necessarily Wolf played played poorly. No, neither do I. I think DeChambeau just played that well and he wasn't going to lose. But the good news, we have exciting news. Next two majors at Augusta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Shame on me. Yeah. It's a bummer without fans. I was totally going to go this year. Um, you're going to take me. Yes. You're you're completely right. <laughs> Rules prevent that. Yeah, um, yeah I, I cannot wait for the Masters. I don't think the conditions will be all that much different. Um, I mean, Augusta National is pure, and it's pure for a reason. They have unbelievable maintenance budgets. They have, you know, things like sub-air where they can control the firmness. They can control the amount of moisture that's in the golf course. So I don't think there's any worries on – playing conditions being any different from it normally is in April. I actually think the temperatures might be fairly close to where they are at in April. They might be a little bit cooler. You might see um, kind of like uh, we saw at the U.S. Open uh, with the cooler temps, uh, maybe the firmness being a little bit more at Augusta National, but I think they're going to control it to basically be as close to April as they possibly get it. That place does not like change. So I'm, I'm guessing they're going to present it Basically exactly the same as they normally would. And we talked about it earlier in the season, just the, the fall feel of the Masters will maybe visually be a little different, but it, it's going to be beautiful. I mean, yeah. that course never looks bad. Yeah, I, I'm interested <laughs> to see how the how the colors uh, break out. I know that you know that place is just surrounded by so many different types of trees. It would be so cool if, if some of the fall colors uh, kind of show themselves uh, that time of year. It's We've had a really good run. We've had a really good run of golf since it came back in June. Um, just really solid tournaments, good events, good excitement. Um, you know, the the majors being played. Uh, I mean, there's there's no complaints on my end. I, I love the the one bummer I always had was when golf would kind of peter out in in September. I had no golf until until Kapalua the next year. Well, now we got golf and good events running all the way through November, and then I can wait December and then. Right back in it in January, so uh, it's going to be a nice, exciting fall. I can't wait. Get your fix. Uh, yeah. It's been tough to see some of it because they've had amazing shots—shots shots you would never expect to go in, or putts from nowhere—and the crowd noise, the excitement, just the—you know—just it would be so awesome to have the fans there to witness that and just kind of feed it. That's the goofy thing. Like the, when those Eagles went in, <laughs> there was silence. <laughs> Like, do you know how crazy that would have been? Yeah. Like, one eagle going in and then the next one going in? They had the the few spectator fans behind the green uh, for the BMW championship, and, and they, they roared like it was 20,000 people standing there. I mean, I can't imagine how good that event would have been with fans right there on 18 and the, the amount of emotion. Any, I don't care how good of an athlete you are, you're going to get – a different level of emotion, a different type of emotion by hearing the fans and, and how much energy there is there. Tiger admittedly has talked about it. That's exactly what I thought of. Yeah. Tiger's admittedly talked about it. He literally doesn't have his normal Tiger advantage right now. Anything he does on the golf course is basically like 10x, you know, in, in, in the fans' minds. And so they go nuts, you know, anytime he makes a birdie, anytime he makes a par. And that's intimidating to play with. If you got ten thousand fans around you, and you're Joey Bag of Donuts on the tour, <laughs> you're going to be intimidated by that, squashed by that. And that was, 
and that's definitely a, an advantage that that Tiger has. And I think even the better players in the world, when they have bigger crowds, they get pumped up. They do things that are extraordinary. Great athletes over time, and these are still great athletes. Great athletes over time do great things when put in that position. And and I I think that the fans not being there obviously uh, does does affect it. I don't know if it affects the, the viewing so much. You still see great shots, but. The drama and the the drama of like, I've been fortunate enough to be at the Masters a couple of times. This is going to be really weird. The back nine of the Masters, they always talk about the roars going through Amen Corner and, and different things that happen, and it's true. You're able to hear that when you're when you're on like Amen Corner around eleven, you can hear a roar that's all the way over on fifteen. Just the way that the the sound goes through the trees and everything else and. Now it's just going to be like a couple of spectators clapping. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be weird. I mean, it's going to be really weird. I, I'm a, assuming they're going to let at least members on the grounds there. So, okay, so you have a few hundred fans maybe. But, um, yeah, that's that's going to be a bummer. And that's going to be super different from those guys. I don't know if it's going to change the competitive nature of the, necessarily the back nine on Sunday at the Masters, but it's going to be different from a viewing uh, standpoint. For some, it's probably less distracting. Uh, golf courses are quiet, but when you're on the PGA Tour, you expect the fans, you expect the noise, you expect the momentum changes. Yeah, and guys do extraordinary, like, again, these are some of the greatest athletes in the world. Guys do extraordinary things at extraordinary times, Like, and the fans are a huge part of that. Yeah. The fans the fans kind of elevate people to those extraordinary heights, so I, I still hope to see that very, very competitive back nine on Sunday. Let's move more local. Uh, with the Illinois PGA Foundation hosted its 10th annual Birdies for Charity event at the River Forest Country Club, and that's something you've been a part of. Uh, I had a chance to be out there this year, uh, a big year, because over $2 million raised in 10 years, $350,000 this year, uh, more than 1,000 birdies, and we're talking about 40 PGA professionals. Just Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a cool event. I I think it's probably the most meaningful day that we have as PGA professionals um, throughout the year um, to be able to help the Illinois PGA Foundation, which does so many great things, Lurie Children's Hospital, uh, JDRF, Ronald McDonald House. I mean, the the direct impact of that event is, is felt, is felt by those organizations. And um, to be able to have members engaged in the way they are, not only here, but, but everywhere else to support your professionals like that. I mean, every single birdie I made was worth almost $200. That's that's so cool, and that makes a huge impact um, on, again, all these organizations. It's just like you don't understand, like, the gravity of the event until you're done with it, and you're like, holy cow, that was that, that's, that's pretty awesome. And, and those guys getting together and, and all of us getting together and, and just doing it for such a great cause and, you know, we couldn't do it without the the members and, and member support, and I, it's just a really cool day how the whole golf community comes together uh, for that event. Yeah, former Chicago Bear Patrick Manley was out there as well. Let's listen to uh, a couple of sound bites. We talked to the pros out there, and here's what they had to say. And being asked by the Illinois PGA to do this, um, I love spreading the word about golf, but also what golf can bring to the community and what it can bring to people and. Um, you know, just what it can do for these, for, for people in need. And what they're doing here today is awesome. So this is, this is quite an honor to be an ambassador for the Illinois PGA. These pros coming together, gathering pledges, and going out, having a great fun day on the golf course, even if there's rain in the forecast or rain overhead, 
to raise money for great charities really showcases the PJ professionals and all that they're capable of. I know for me it's personal because my daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was 10 years old. So, you know, it's just a great way to, to come in and, and support all the, the charities that we have. I love this charity. I love the fact that people are solely focusing more on, you know, taking care of what what's happening in a family's life. When we get some of the the patients that come and speak to us from the different organizations, whether it's Ronald McDonald House, Laurie Children's Hospital, or JDRF, uh, it's quite touching and moving, and uh, it really makes you try harder to make some priorities out there for them. So even right there, it's PGA pros that just want to help. It's others who have family members who have benefited from these charities, and uh, it's really just a cool thing. Yeah, it, it's just such... Again, it's just such an incredible event. I mean, our our family has personally uh, benefited from the generosity of people at the Ron McDonald House, uh, having stayed there uh, before. And just, I mean, it costs five dollars. They they talked about that. It costs like Ron McDonald House, for instance. It costs five dollars to house a family for a night. So when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, think of my families that you're placing in a Ron McDonald House that don't have to worry about paying for it for for just that night. I mean, it's it's absolutely incredible. I look forward to getting back out next year. Do it again. Yeah, we can't wait to have you. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for being part of the event. You added so much light to the event. You know, all the audio visual is just, just awesome. Now, anything to help something like that, easy. Put yeah. it on the calendar every year. So let's move back here to Mistwood. We actually had a special event. We called it a gathering to remember for our members, uh, Jim McQuethy. We miss him. He passed away earlier in the summer and. Uh, he's been on our minds every single second of every single day. You look over the golf course and you think of him. Uh, it's been good to spend time with the family and see them. But we had the event, and we enjoyed some of his favorite foods and things that he just truly enjoys. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, let's yeah, let's not get carried away with the food that he loves. Very simple menu. It's <laughs> probably why I like it, because I have the palate of, like, a nine-year-old. Right, hamburgers and, and hot dogs and such. But, no, it, the reason I love the event was um, – Obviously, what Jim's meant to this place is immeasurable. Um, just just remembering that with other members and and members sharing, you know, their stories was was super cool. But um, you know, having Todd and Gretchen and the McGuethy family here and sharing their passion, and it's the same passion that Jim has, and knowing that that's a again a continuous support of of what Mistwood is. Uh, I think was extremely meaningful for the membership and was was meaningful for them to hear the passion that the members have for this place and in turn the passion that they have for Mistwood and the membership. I thought it was such an incredible event and a, a great event to get everybody together. It's important to know that, uh, you know, he didn't do it alone. Um, you know, he had a lot of help. He has, you know, we have a lot of help. Um, I think we need to really give our hats off to uh, to the staff, the management, all the, all the staff here, um, kind of helped his uh, his dream become a reality. Um, and thank you again um, because you're what like made this all possible. Um, you should all know that uh, you know I'm sure there's been a lot were a lot of questions when my father passed. Um, what's going to happen to Mistwood? Um, it's a, a fair question. Um, we're here to let you know that, you know, we're not going anywhere. Um, we want to carry on what our father started. 
Um, we feel that this is something truly unique and special. Um, and we, we want to keep it going. We want to grow it. Um, we don't want to take our foot off the gas at all. Um, thank you. Let's listen to the members and what they had to say about Jim. We had Mike Hutchins, Dave Walker, and Walt Shemansky. So I heard through the grapevine that Jim McQuethy had bought the place because it was not doing well. It was kind of going astray. So um, they had told me he had bought it, and I hadn't met him really. So I had a great meeting with him the first time because I was over at the police department where I worked at the time. And it's like a Saturday afternoon, and all of a sudden this really nice little Mini Cooper comes driving in and goes over by the Village Hall to drop off some mail. And I think Sue's might have been there, I believe, but I'm not absolutely sure. I'm like, that's a cool car. So I run the plate, and I just see what year it was. <laughs> and I'm like, it said Jim McQuethy. I go, Jim McQuethy, I just heard his name. They bought this place. So I spin the car around, and as he's pulling out, I pull up next to him, wave my hand, and he's got his window down. I go, are you Jim McQuethy? He goes, yeah. I'm like, oh, crap, I really scared the hell out of him. I'm sorry about that. I said, hey, listen, I heard you bought the course, this and that, so we got talking. And uh, it was really, really nice. But every time that he would be around somebody new, he'd tell them how we met because it really freaked him out. I've been a member in this place from the first day it opened because my son was also one of the first assistants in the golf club. Uh, and I'll be here until I stop playing golf. There's no place I ever want to go. So I, I love it here. Jim was a fantastic friend of mine from the time he first took over. I enjoyed talking to him over the years, and uh, I will miss him dearly. But thank you very, very much. I think I agree with Dave that uh, I'll be here until uh, the good Lord takes me. Uh, they've been very good to me, uh, and I loved uh, Jim. Jim and I had some very, very good conversations about many, many topics. And uh, all I can say is thank the family uh, for continuing this. I really enjoyed hearing those stories, the fun memories. The membership here is extremely close, and we've got a lot of great people. Yeah, it's it's one big family, and, and that's kind of the most significant thing to come out of the event is, is how much that family is still intact and, and really just looking forward to the future. Those are guys... Men and women who've been here 20 years plus. Yeah. Uh, Dave Walker says it best. You know, if as long as Mistwood's still here and he's still around, he's going to play here the rest of his life. We're, so. we're counting on it, Dave. <laughs> More guys like that, and, you know, bring them on. Well, we can't leave the uh, podcast this week without a big, big breaking news announcement. It probably could have gone first, but you got to get you guys to hang around somehow. So, Andy, take it away. Big announcement for Misswood Golf Club. All right, so we've been teasing this since, what, the start of 2019, and we're finally doing it. We're going to be uh, putting in top tracer range here at Mistwood Golf Club uh, in our performance center. So we will have a total of uh, 12 hitting stations. Uh, we will be open uh, throughout, the, throughout the winter for that. Um, right now it will be uh, primarily for our members, but we may open that up to the uh, general public uh, during this winter. But when you uh, come to Mistwood in the, in the, the normal months during the spring and, and summer, um, the, the cool thing about Top Tracer Range in an outdoor setting is that you're able to, to select your position wherever you're at, and all of it's on your phone. So literally if you're hitting off of the grass or you're hitting off of our, our, our mat T line, wherever you're at, you literally select the location that you're at, 
and everything comes up right on your phone as if it was on a top tracer screen at our dome. So the, the mobility aspects are awesome. The um, data tracking is a whole nother level uh, than it's been in the past. So customers are really going to love, customers and members are going to really love uh, the new experience that we have out here at Mistwood, especially uh, during the winter months when we're not usually open. You think about it at the Dome, that was just a game changer as far as experience and playing those virtual courses and transporting yourself. I think now more than ever, we want to be transported to those courses that you wish you could play. Uh, so that'll be really cool to see that out there. When do you think that's going to be done? Uh, we're looking at probably the second week of October. So, um, you know, a couple other cool developments, too. Uh, at the Dome, we're putting on a new skin. It's the first new skin that we've we've had in 19 years. Um and it's the first new skin since we've taken ownership uh, of the dome. So uh, we're putting on a new skin. We're going to have uh, some some new turf uh, out in the field. So the dome is going to have a very refreshed look uh, going into this season. Obviously, we're working with local governments uh, to figure out exactly uh, what our guidelines are going to be uh, for the dome, but just to ensure that it's going to be a, a safe environment for everybody to enjoy. And and uh, yeah, we're we're looking we're looking forward to to what's going to happen this winter. A lot of excitement, a lot of buzz over at the Dome, McQuethy Sports Bar. If you're missing that food and drink, that opens up on Open Thursday, Thursday, yeah, September 24th. So it's all moving the right direction as far as the, the season's changing, but as far as the weather being great and beautiful out here, we're going to enjoy this as long as we can as well. Yeah, I mean, I've looked at the 10-day the forecast. It looks great. Uh, I don't see any rain in the forecast, at least over the next 10 days. And I think we're going to have a nice, sustained fall. I love the fall temps. I love the little dropping temps. I know superintendents love it. Uh, golf course conditions are, are really good. Uh, and we're going to have some good golf here for the next couple of months. I still, It's still golf season. still live and well in Chicago. An awesome job by Ben Kellenhofer, again, as superintendent, Tony Smith and their crew, just keeping the course up to a high level. The rounds have been insane, but the course is still just pristine out there. Yeah, it's it, you know, it's really a, a community thing, right? When when we engage the membership the, the way that we have and, and the general public and also, um, you know, the, the job that they do on, on the maintenance side, when we're all working together, when we're all filling our divots, when we're all fixing our ball marks, it's, it's literally a community thing to make sure that the golf course stays uh, in the absolute best condition possible. I mean, when you look at our, our rounds, our rounds aren't any different from a lot of other places around here. We're up. 20% or so uh, in rounds. Um, and so that's 20% more play, but we're having a golf public and also members that are taking better care of the golf course, which which kind of helps the whole community of this golf course um, as a whole. And so uh, we've been very appreciative of that, and, and conditions have been outstanding. And we will continue to enjoy our time out here and the, the company of our guests and our members and Roll through this pandemic the best we can because that's all we can do, Andy. Absolutely. Can't wait to see everybody. We still have a lot of golf left uh, for the rest of the year. All right, that'll do it for this episode, and we will see all of you next time. Thanks for listening. Get in the cart. Right at us. The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast.